0: This is Maddie Van. I lead strategy at Network for Good Donor Advised Fund. And I'm back again with our CEO, Abby Ross, who's generously taking this conversation from the United Lounge at the airport in Seattle on your way back from the Greater Giving Summit hosted by the Gates Foundation. Yeah. It was amazing,
1: great opportunity to connect with partners talking about opportunities and challenges for, you know, everyday giving and philanthropy. So excited to bring a lot back to the home front.
0: Great. Well, I'm excited to hear more later and see how that informs our work. And appreciate you taking this call while on the road. So today we are talking about our vision for sustainable disaster recovery. Our last conversation, we talked about why Network for Good has decided to focus on the disaster response and recovery space. We talked about some of the troubling stats we've seen around the increasing frequency of climate-driven disasters in the United States, the widespread nature of disasters in the U.S., um, and the rising costs that these disasters are incurring for our country and for communities. And that, that community piece is what will inform our conversation today as we think about the different people and organizations affected after a disaster and how their unique problems and the challenges they face uh, are informing our vision for sustainable disaster recovery. Um, so, Abby, tell me what the past month has looked like. What have you been trying to help us understand? So, so much of our work has been um, detangling the problem
1: statements. Um, you know, we've been kind of going so deep in the space that um, it's kind of been challenging to like pull up and realize, um, you know, what are, what are the core challenges that, that we want to zero in on knowing there's kind of so many in the space, but when you, um, you know, again, like detangle those, like what's at the root of what's not working within these communities. Um, and that's been really helpful to, uh, kind of just think about what role Network for Good can play, um, and trying to, you know, isolate like where the focus is. And, and frankly, you know, one of the things that, that we kept coming back to is tied back to our strategic vision of community-aligned outcomes. So truly defining, like, what do we mean when we say that? um, and, And what does it look like in this disaster recovery space?
0: Right. And with that, we've talked about community and what community means. So can you offer some of the framing we've landed on for how we might think about and define the different stakeholders involved when we talk about community alignment in this disaster response and recovery context?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we started kind of with this, well, what should crisis recovery look like? And for whom? Um, In in doing that work, we realized we need to get tighter on who we're serving um, as the stakeholders. So we've come up with um, basically three rings of what The community, how to define the community recovering from a disaster. So, at the center of those rings are the survivors, essentially the impacted individuals. Um, We're defining that as the people who live, work, and play in a geographic area where damage occurred from a disaster. Outside of that is the impacted community. So, those are the formal and informal institutions that take care of the people in places. and then lastly, kind of the, the, the largest ring is, is the broad recovery community. So those are the people and organizations who aid in helping that impacted community recover. And a lot of our conversations have been with folks in that recovery community kind of talking a little bit about you know, how the space uh, functions. So as we start then getting into these, these problem statements and, and what our vision is, holding these stakeholders, um, you know, true has been really important. Um, and, and I, I think that in, in doing that, we have to think about the structures and systems and do that with real people in stories. So, you know, Maddie, you've been along with me reading the articles about recovery efforts. So, you know, to kind of put personas and put people behind this, when I say
0: survivors of a disaster, like who are you thinking about? Oh, for me that's easy. I mean, we talked. We've read so many articles, but there was one. I think it was from NPR um, that talked about a woman named Janice Perry Evans who received twenty five hundred dollars from FEMA for rent, um, but she didn't. She thought she should put it toward a car so she could get to her job as a mail carrier for the post office. She had no savings for a hotel or a new apartment after Hurricane Harvey, um, but the car was more critical for her, uh, and she tells this story in this, this interview for this article about having gotten then in trouble with FEMA for not using that money for the deposit and first month's rent in a new place that they had sort of bookmarked it for for her. Um, and so she's the person who comes to mind for me when I think of an example of a survivor who lives and works in an area where a disaster hits and who experiences several of the problem statements we've identified and we'll get into discussing uh, next.
1: Yeah, great example. And so then when I say like the impacted
0: community um, and the leaders of that community, who are you thinking about? Yeah, for that one, I mean, we read that article about Hurricane Harvey and it talked about churches also in Houston that primarily held religious services before the hurricane. But after Harvey, they also became distribution centers for food, diapers, clothing, gift cards and cleaning supplies to better serve their communities while still maintaining their original operations and while needing to rebuild their own facilities. So I think that's a good example of organizations that had to make do with less money and fewer staff members and volunteers after a disaster. So they're they're impacted like anyone else in the community, but they're also taking on operations to serve their community Um, and sort of balancing those two pieces further dragged out their own recovery process while they're trying to simultaneously be of service to their community. So when we've talked about the impacted community, that's sort of the persona that keeps coming up in my mind. Yeah. And then, and then what about the, the broader
1: recovery community? Because there's lots of folks we've spoken with in that group.
0: Yeah. I mean, for this category, I think I have less of a singular person or persona that, that comes to mind as representative of the sort of recovery community. Um, but the examples I'd flag are probably a big government agency like FEMA, um, a VOAD organization. So VOAD meaning Voluntary Organization, Active in Disaster, um, and all hands and hearts, I think, is maybe one that comes to mind as an example we've talked to. And then either a community foundation or other on-the-ground philanthropist is as another sort of third persona in this category. Um, so then FEMA, I think there are obviously so many smaller organizations, and we've talked to probably five different teams there. Um, so the folks who sit behind a desk and manage grant approvals and distributions, folks who are on the ground assessing and even maybe doing some disaster case management after, after a crisis, and then um, the people at FEMA who liaise with the VOADs is another sort of part of that FEMA um, entity in the recovery community. And then there are the VOADs themselves, like All Hands and Hearts, uh, that will deploy staff and volunteers to go into a home after a flood and do the actual um, mucking and gutting work um, with people. And then we've talked to the Center for Disaster Philanthropy a lot about their shoe leather philanthropy um, that they believe in. Uh, and their practice of ground-truthing, I think they call it, where they'll go into the field to directly observe unmet needs following a disaster, to then collaborate with funders and, and NGOs to inform how they allocate their grant-making dollars based on the real needs they see. Um, and there's a lot of blurring and overlap that we've talked about within just the recovery community itself, um, and honestly between recovery community And the other aspects of community we've talked about
1: yeah so it's really important to recognize the blur and overlap between these groups so kind of like you mentioned these uh community impact the impacted community leaders are also likely survivors and you know the recovery community is asking you know survivors and the the community leaders to participate in their recovery so there's you know there's a lot of blurred lines between these but these stakeholders and personas have helped us get a little bit crisper on the key problems.
0: Yeah. And it seems like you've you've especially gotten much clearer on the problem statements once you were able to group them into these three stakeholder groups. And that was super helpful for me, too, because we weren't thinking about the problems in, in the amorphous, but really for these three particular rings of the community.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, I was conflating problems of individual survivors and families with problems of the community. Mm -hmm. So separating them into stakeholders allowed me to kind of step back and and look at the systems and the people and what's not working. Also, a lot easier to follow the money for how, because money does flow differently to individuals than it does to, you know, organizations within the community.
0: Yeah. Um, And can you talk a little bit about what problem statements have been floating to the top or emerging as the top priorities as we've formed this clearer perspective about how we define community.
1: So we have the
0: three personas,
1: survivors, impacted community, recovery community, um, and, and we have centered the problem statements for those who are directly impacted by a disaster. So that means the survivors and community. Um, mm-hmm. That makes the role of the recovery community essentially like actors, supporting actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where most of
0: our problem statements have landed is the survivors and impacted community. So let's start with the survivors, uh, which, as you said before, you've defined as the people who live, work and play in the geographic area where damage occurred from the disaster. What are the primary problems you're seeing for the survivors group?
1: So first and foremost, not everyone can recover on their own. Um, Might seem like a duh, but ultimately, like that's at the center of this, which is, you know, not everyone has the liquidity or reserves to be able to Um, recover financially on their own. Not everybody knows what resources are available. They might not be able to navigate to what's required to recover and, you know, then apply for available resources.
0: Right. Sure. And then if survivors don't have the resources to recover on their own, that's where the recovery community and these other systems start to step in. So what are survivors options when they don't have the means to recover on their own?
1: So they're owed resources essentially, whether that's through insurance or through government programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is a path forward, kind of. Within the system that that we have but that leads into the second problem statement for survivors Which is that not everybody receives enough or any resources to recover Um, Not everyone has insurance not everyone has a bank account to receive funds and not everybody can make it through the Process to receive
0: funds. It's confusing. It's biased and it's wildly complex and disjointed. I wanna flag that last piece here that not everyone can make it through the process as a major area that needs detangling.
1: Yeah, so not everyone can make it through the process and they're forced to cobble together various sources of funding, depending on what happened and who you are. It's really confusing and unclear. Um, accessing these resources likely require a level of digital literacy to access, do the forms, you know, take time off from work, Um, there's also this like kind of crux of the process that requires a third party assessment for what the value Mm. that you're trying to receive that has tons of bias and kind of mismatch in terms of, um, you know, then how folks recover. Um, and there's just systemic barriers that prevent survivors from accessing available programs. Like who gets what, when, and why?
0: Well, in that, I mean, the examples you just flagged ties right back to that example I gave at the beginning when you asked, who are you thinking about when you talk about a survive, an impacted survivor. And Janice Perry-Evans, who was talked about in that article I mentioned, her income was too low to claim a significant tax refund, so she couldn't access that. But she was also denied, denied money from HUD because her income was too high to qualify, even, to your point, after she used her day off to go to an info session. Um, and then she was denied a low-interest loan from the Small Business Administration because her credit score was too low. Um, Yeah, and those are just some of the problems. There's the
1: citizenship requirement for program entry, um, inconsistent uh, damage assessment process. And when not everyone can get an SBA loan to cover costs on waiting for their FEMA, they fall further behind.
0: Yeah, and that's a big problem we identified in our last conversation just this timeline it takes to get the money from government or from insurance or from any source to folks.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the the third big problem statement that we've identified, which is the resources take a long time to arrive. Um, And that's ultimately like what draws out this timeline for recovery. And there's just tremendous compounding negative consequences
0: if you don't have that financial buffer. And so I think the perspective we're forming around our vision for disaster recovery as it relates to those problem statements is that we believe, as you've sort of started to say, Everyone, meaning all survivors impacted by climate-driven disasters in the United States, deserve to recover in a timely way. Yeah, that's that's the vision um, for what the world should look like
1: um, because of us. <laughs> and you know, there's there's two key words embedded in that vision: um, everyone and timely. Um, you know, so when we think about everyone, um, you know, it's that everyone can uh, gets those, those resources to recover. Um, and that it, it doesn't take a long time for those resources to arrive. Um, and, and I, I have to kind of acknowledge that when we say like everyone should recover in a timely manner, I don't yet have a great definition of what timely means. Um, we kind of have this macro stat of disasters take six years, but, um, I think we really have some, some work to do in terms of like, how do we define that for the survivors and and what they need, Mm Um, we're also baking in a couple assumptions around like what this vision will require, um, that, that survivors can identify what they need and that we, you know, network for good, uh, believes that survivors, you know, deserve trust and agency in deciding yeah. how they recover. You know, we don't want to say, here's what recovery looks like for you. Um, so that, that kind of has, that success metric has to come up from the survivors.
0: Sure. So then, then if we shift our conversation from survivors, let's shift now to the discussion of what we've been having or what we've been talking about around the problem statements and opportunities for the impacted community for which our working definition here is the formal and informal institutions that take care of the people and places. Yeah, so um, because our strategic vision ties back to producing sustainable
1: outcomes, uh, we're coming in hot (laughs) with the bias that recovery requires resilience and preparedness for the next disaster. Um, If we just go back to the way things were and – when the next disaster inevitably hits, we're just going to perpetuate
0: this cycle. Right, absolutely. So then what are the primary problems that you're seeing for the impacted community group here?
1: So right off the bat, just communities are ill-equipped to deal with the long-term recovery needs. Um, They're working through trauma from that disaster and healing. um, They didn't have the resources to prepare a plan Um, They don't know where the funds are going to come from. um, And the process and capacity for recovery comes in that acute phase and doesn't persist. Um, And then the information about what people need within a community are just spread across, you know, disparate systems. So kind of we're not setting up the community for success to deal with, you know, the long-term recovery. Sure. Um, You know, kind of compounded onto that is that, communities and not all communities can access those resources available. Uh, Kind of, you know, the same issue that you saw with survivors kind of ditto to communities. So the example of community resources require a match and not all communities can do that. Um, Not all communities have the capacity, like the time and people to navigate what's required, um, let alone kind of know what's available. Um, You know, finding that, that then resources within the community are distributed Inequitably because of kind of the above two things, like they don't have the capacity and they just don't have visibility into what the needs are. And then, you know, the kind of last really important point back to that sustainable outcomes piece is that communities struggle to to do the the future planning and resilience work in the middle of recovery. If they can't do their if they're ill-equipped to do the recovery, let alone you know integrate resilience work into that. And with the frequency these disasters are happening the required timeline between disasters is shortening. So this constant barrage means that they might not ever enter long-term recovery and, and consider resilience. Um, right. And so like that's, that's ultimately the challenge, which is communities are overwhelmed. There's this pop-up nature of how disaster relief and recovery systems work, um, but it, it doesn't actually help the impacted community operationalize what it looks like to serve all survivors fairly
0: well and, and to your point that's partially because the communities are not all served fairly if, if a community doesn't have the funds like you said to put up a match to access FEMA funding they're left out of um, these opportunities and that impacts the survivors and within their community um, so the vision statement then that we've talked about for impacted communities is that we believe communities can recover more equitably and with resilience so that the next disaster is less destructive for everyone can you say a bit more about what that means? So in
1: this disaster space, I think both equity and resilience for that impacted community are required to get to those, those buzzwords of alignment mm-hmm. and sustainable outcomes from that strategic vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're helping all survivors recover in a timely way, like we double down on that community aligned part. So it's the kind of combination of how we show up for survivors and how we show up for the impacted community that I think will get to that aligned sustainable outcome.
0: Sure, I think sort of as a bottom line, we've been discussing how important an equity lens is for this work overall and recognizing that it's not explicitly embedded in our current broader Network for Good strategic vision statement. And so digging into these problem statements for us, it's been the words for everyone that have been representing some of the equity and inclusion problems you and I have been talking about.
1: Yeah. Um, so many of these problems are about how the system doesn't work for everybody. So we have to solve for that. Right. And and that's another really important assumption about how we approach the levers and how we enter doing this work within an impacted community is just recognizing that, um, you know, we will have to navigate community structures that are not designed for equity for all survivors.
0: Mm-hmm. So what's next? What do we, where do we go? Where do we go with that? <laughs>
1: So we've, we've got the stakeholders and we've got the problem statements, um, oh, the vision statements ultimately, which is that all survivors can recover in a timely way and that communities can recover more equitably and with resilience so the next disaster is less destructive for everyone. So if we take those two problem statements, we're now starting to map the levers that we think are the crux of why these
0: things aren't true. Why they aren't true today. Give us some yeah. can you outline some of those examples we've talked about?
1: So barriers to, like what are the barriers to receive resources? Um, what is the system for distributing the resources to survivors? And you know one really I think a, a interesting example of the lever is just the velocity yeah. of how funds you know, move to survivors. Um, and then on, on the community level, you know, playing with the pre and post disaster capacity within a community, uh, kind of what the, the general ecosystem calls like preparedness, um, you know, and, and then also flexibility in funding sources. Yeah. So knowing that because of the way this money comes in and it goes directly to relief is because there isn't flexibility in, in the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I think that's a lever for if we want to push... You know kind of this this um long-term recovery or the timely recovery we need more flexibility upstream um so that that's kind of ultimately where we are is like we're digging into these levers and so then when we think about experiment design trying to develop hypotheses on like which of these levers do we want to push on mm-hmm. um So in the last month, we've like crisped up what are the problem statements that we're focusing on? What is the vision that we see that we think we can impact? And so now um, we can start to think about like, what are these levers for impact and what experiments we want to run on those levers?
0: So that's what I think we'll be talking through then over the next several weeks, thinking about these levers. And I'm looking forward to coming back here with you again, Abby, to share our latest round of learnings for the next recording. I hope this was useful for our board, our advisors and supporters and... Once again, we invite you all to push back on the things we've shared here and bring up new ideas for us to think about. So thanks for talking with me again, Abby.
1: Thanks, Maddie. I gotta go board this flight. Yeah,
0: we're yeah, really <laughs> get time. All right, well, thanks.
1: Thanks.